All right, welcome in episode 168 of Hot Grits Podcast. I'm Travis Jadon. We'll get started here in just a second, but first, Midtown Sports Grill, our title sponsor here, open seven days a week, 11 to 11, right there in Midtown Savannah, off of Habersham Street, 4521 Habersham Street, uh, right there next to the Jones Red and White. Used to be a Barberitos there. They closed down, no free ads. Uh, Midtown Sports Grill on Facebook and Instagram, lunch specials, full, full bar, NFL Sunday ticket, uh, high school games, BC every Friday night. BC's off this Friday night, but catch the Falcons on Sundays and the Dogs and Georgia Southern on Saturdays. Find them on Facebook and Instagram. Call ahead, 912-349-6350, 912-349-6350. Midtown Sports Grill. Our title sponsor, if you go, tell them the Hot Grits podcast sent you. All right, let's get after it for our 168th time, Hot Grits podcast. I hate LeBron James. When God created Adam and Eve, the next thing he did was yell at the referee. Drop them hot grits like me, kiss like me, just like me. Nobody gonna do it like me. What a play! The cheerleader saves the day. Roll out, dirty south. Come on, bow. You over there, you over there. All y'all, come on now. Do your thing. Do your thing. Throw them bowls. Time for us to go take it to the flow, take it to the flow, take it to the flow. But first, some sports. All right, welcome back. Episode 168 of the Hot Grits Podcast. Let's start with the Braves. Everyone was freaking out. You guys were freaking out. I was freaking out a little bit. Not a lot. Just a little bit. Just a little bit. Braves were on a four-game losing streak before Tuesday night. But then Spencer Strider happened. 11 punchies. Ronald Acuna happened. Two jimmies. And a stolen base. And the Braves snapped their four-game losing streak. They still have not lost five games in a row since the start of 2018. Really, since midsummer 2017. They're the only team in baseball that has not lost five games in a row since the start of 2018. The Braves have gone 859 straight games since losing five straight. 859 straight games. They're 97-54. and Heading into Wednesday's getaway day, that game already played, if you're listening to this by now. But look, the Braves are really good. The Braves are really good. I don't think that the four-game losing streak, I can't look into that at all. I mean, it has to be symptoms of boredom. Ronald Acuna, a little banged up. The Marlins are playing for their lives. The Phillies, this is the biggest series of their lives. The Braves are playing for basically nothing. The Dodgers, I guess, the Braves are two games up, three games up on the Dodgers uh, as far as best record in the National League, and they are two games up on 95-56 and 56 Baltimore, but we should be hype. Let's get hype. Here's a hype clip. Random. This team has it all. They have all of the makings of a World Series team. I think they're the deepest lineup in baseball right now. They're so relentless. One through nine. Nobody better. They're built for the marathon, and they're built for the sprint of the postseason. This is a deep roster. It's gone! A grand slam! Yeah, baby, the Braves are good. Yeah, baby, the Braves are good. 21-9 versus left-handed starters now after Tuesday's 9-3 win over the Phillies. Like I said, Acuna, two homers, stolen bases. Got 39 homers heading into Wednesday. Uh, 67 stolen bases, 100 RBIs, 338 average, and a 1.014 OPS. The MVP is officially over. That race is over. Um, here's a note for the Braves with 11 to play. Um, you know, first off, it doesn't feel this way, but they're nine and nine in September. Okay. It does feel a little that way. Let's be honest, but they've dominated the Phillies this year. 
eight and four versus Philadelphia before Wednesday. Thirteen games on the season. They've played twelve. Braves have won eight of them. Okay. Also, this the Braves are fifty-three and thirty against teams over five hundred. They're twenty-three games over five hundred against teams with a winning record. The Phillies are forty-three and forty-five. They're below five hundred when playing good teams. When playing teams with a winning record. Braves are 53 and 30 after Tuesday with team, when playing against teams with a winning record. Um, so Acuna is going to break. He's going to get that 40 70 probably. But right now, the Braves' concern should be lining everything up, getting everything, all the proverbial ducks in a row for October 7th, game one of the NLDS. There's questions about what they're going to do with the last two or three arms in the bullpen. Nick Anderson, Colin McHugh, both starting rehab assignments. Um, Jesse Chavez just reactivated. Chavo. Um, Kyle Wright basically rehabbing at the major league level. Like, would they carry Kyle Wright in the NLDS if they're only going to use three starters? Is he worth something out of the bullpen? Or would you rather carry, you know, McHugh... Nick Anderson, um, does AJ Smith Shaver get a look? Does that, does the ass man get a look? Who knows? So the Braves still have some things to decide here before October 7th is when the NLDS starts. Their last regular season game, October 1st. So quick math there, six days. Six days, the Braves will have off to set their roster, to set their rotation. Um, and to get ready for, you know, going into Wednesday, it looked like, it looks like maybe the winner of a Philadelphia Diamondback series. And, and, you know, you could go one or two ways here. If you think the Phillies are going to beat the Cubs or Diamondbacks, then I'd rather them play the Cubs, which I consider to be like, if I had to power rank the potential teams here for the Braves to play, you know, I don't want to play Philadelphia number one. I think, I think the Cubs, the Cubs too. The Brewers are tough. I mean, I'm cool with playing the Marlins. I'm cool with playing the Diamondbacks, but I don't want the the Phillies coming in to Game One of the NLDS having had a cupcake series with the Diamondbacks, just disposing of them which makes the Braves six days off not only seem less important, it makes it seem like it's too long. Like if the Phillies go out and win eight to one, six to nothing, you know, and they're on the verge of sweeping the first round, the wildcard series, and the Braves are just sitting there waiting on them. That's not going to be a fun feeling. But still baseball left to play before then. Um, so, like I said, getaway day Wednesday, four at Washington, three at home versus Chicago next week, which I think the three at home versus Chicago, you're going to see, I think that's when the Braves throw their rotation. I think that's when you'll see like Freed's going Thursday of this week. I think he probably goes Wednesday of next week against the Cubbies and that'll be it for him. Maybe Strider on, 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 or Strider on, you know, Monday in Washington, something like that. But but the Braves are going to be able to play with this rotation here to set it up nicely. But decisions will have to be made. Um, and I also think that if it comes down to it and there's records and stats available in the final couple of games, Snickers going to have to use some discipline here. I'm cool with Ronald Acuna, Matt Olson. They can play, all, you know, every game down the stretch, but they don't need to play nine innings, especially once every, once everything is clenched. They're in that final home series versus the Nationals. You'd like to have everything officially wrapped up. I think the Braves will. Spencer Strider has clearly conquered his Philadelphia curse. His last two outings, 14 innings against Philadelphia, 2-0, 20 Ks, two walks. Uh, he's 6-1 in his last seven starts. Strider is, he's going to break John Smoltz's single season franchise record for punchies in a season. So the Braves have their ace. 
they have their MVP and they look set up to be ready to roll in the playoffs. Here's the thing. I'm kind of glad they went on this little skid. I'm kind of glad they're not going to be approaching any dumb win totals here. 97 wins with 11 to play. You know, they're not going to start. If they would have rattled off four or five in a row wins and they're sitting at, you know, 151, then all the talk about best regular season ever. I don't want that going into the playoffs. I don't want that. 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 Just let everyone talk about the Orioles. What a great story they are in the American League. Mookie Betts is better. The war. Let them talk about it. Shh. We'll be quiet. Let them have the All-Star games. We'll be quiet. We'll just take the dubs. I can't wait for the playoffs to start, man. Playoffs? Um, all right. Let's talk in baseball here. Baseball takes, um, let's see. I, I thought I had more Braves. Oh, Orlando Arcia. Hello. Hey, if you're listening, Orlando, I got to get back on you, pal. He's hitting 231 after the All-Star break. 60 points down from what he was hitting before the All-Star break. So 231 after the All-Star break. He's hitting 170 in September. So Orlando... I know you're listening to this. I know you're a hot grits guy. Duh. Pick that shit up, Tito. Pick it up, man. The Braves got to have Arcia and Albies locked in. Albies is hitting the ball well. I mean, who wouldn't be hitting the ball well in between Matt Olson and Ronald Acuna? What a comfy place to be. Ozzie Albies living the life. He's only making like $12 an hour because of Alex Andopoulos. But man, what a great spot to hit. Braves 97 and 54, 11 to play. Afternoon game against the Phillies. Then they hit the road for the final road trip of the season. Four in Washington, three at home versus Chicago. And they close up with the regular season finale October 1st versus the Nationals. All right, a little time travel for you. After the Braves game on Wednesday afternoon, the Braves lost six to five to close out the season series with Philadelphia. The Braves lost 6-5 in 10 innings. Bryce Elder uh, roughed up a little bit in a short start. Braves outhit the Phillies 9-5 um, after falling behind early in the game. Only their eighth loss all season on Wednesday uh, when they have more hits than the opponent. 74-8 and when they outhit the opponent. 7-3 in extra innings, 8-5 versus Philadelphia. Again, that season series is done. Um, they did not hit a home run on Wednesday, which is rare. Only the 17th time all season that they have not hit a home run in a game. They are 5-12 and 12 in those games. Now, as we look for trends here, um, again, time traveling after Wednesday, 97-55, and 55, the Braves record. Um, but 5-12 and 12 without home runs, they're 34-12-3 and 12 and 3 in series play. Um, Right now with two series or with three series to go at Washington versus Chicago Cubs and then versus Washington. Um, freed on Thursday. Look, I think that nothing really changes from the first segment just because the Braves lost on getaway day. Um, but I will say this Chavez coming back, uh, had a nice outing. I think like two and a third. Uh, Iglesias is looking a little rusty. Uh, and I, you know, Minter again is not the lockdown lefty that you would hope to have out of that bullpen. But I think the Braves have enough B minus pieces: Minter, Johnson, Jimenez, Iglesias, uh, and then you could really just throw in another two guys: Chavez, potentially McHugh, potentially Anderson, potentially Kyle Wright. Out of that starters role, there's been talk now of Kyle Wright and Bryce Elder maybe piggybacking each other in a game three playoff start, but that's all down the line. Uh, Braves 10 games to play after closing out the series with Philadelphia. They lost on Wednesday. So we will time travel back now to uh, when I recorded originally this episode, which was on Tuesday evening, uh, right after the Braves got done beating the Phillies on Tuesday evening. We'll talk some college football 
and then some high school football, some local notes, and then we will get out of here. So let's time travel back now and hit on some college football, starting with the Bulldogs. All right, I said we would start with Georgia. Um, I'm not going to recap South Carolina too much. Georgia beating South Carolina 24-14. to um, Got a few Carson Beck takes, a few Mike Bobo takes, but we'll kind of zoom through that and then get to Georgia Southern before we close out with some local stuff. Um, before Georgia and Georgia Southern, uh, Deion Sanders. I didn't know if I wanted to even give takes on this because it's hard for me to not spend a lot of time on that. I'm not good at being brief on that kind of stuff, especially by myself um, when I don't have someone to push back or to agree, disagree, or ask questions or, you know, so I kind of had to jot down takes. And I'll be honest, like this Deion Sanders thing, I have asked a lot of people what they think about it because I'm fascinated by it and I'm fascinated by what people think about it. People that follow college football, people that don't follow college football, you know, just people I run into daily, like I know which one of them are college football fans, you know, my friends and acquaintances, but this Deion Sanders thing has brought in a whole nother crowd of people. And look, whether we like it or not, the Deion Sanders success at Colorado so far, Oregon this week, check me on that. The Deion Sanders success so far has brought in a demographic, so far as I can tell, that was not around in college football viewership last year, year before, hasn't been around in college football viewership in a while, and it's the adult black male. Primarily professional sports is that demographic's primary fandom, at least the NBA and the NFL are based off of what those two leagues release every year as far as like demographics of who's watching games, who's purchasing things like league pass, jerseys, things like that. You know, when you put male and when you put ethnicity or when you put your age, like they can determine what kinds of people are following what league over time. I mean, it's not that difficult, but you know, you don't, see a lot of black males being pat adult males being passionate about college football teams the way they are about NFL and NBA teams. That's in my experience. This is speaking as a, a middle-class white guy. So, you know, I don't know Jack about diversity, but to try to separate Deion Sanders from the race thing is impossible. It's impossible. And the immediate thing that everyone listening now and everyone listening to anything anywhere regarding Deion Sanders is the moment you start talking about the word racism or racist, everyone listening, including you right now, including me, we all dismiss ourselves from that. Well, I'm not racist. Different crowd of people. But look, somebody is. It, it still exists. So whether it's you, whether it's me, whether it's anybody, the fact is that black and white matters here. Okay, so that's first. So anyone trying to dance around that is crazy. Dion himself brings it up all the time. They don't like seeing a proud, successful black man up here. They don't like that. Don't you remember that's what he said after TCU when him and Ed Werder got into it? You guys remember that, right? What's up, boss? You believe now? Of all the you, you, hold on, hold on, hold on, oh no. Do you believe now? Huh? Who said I didn't believe oh, before? Oh, no, no, no. I read through that bull junk you wrote now. I, I read through that. I sifted what, through what all that. What did I write? Yeah. What did I write? Oh, no. Come Can on. I ask my question? Do you believe? In what? You don't believe. I do believe. You just answered it. You don't believe. <laughs> Next question. Yeah, Dion there talking to TV reporter, a man who hasn't written anything in years, Ed Werder. By the way, he used to cover the Cowboys when Dion played for him. Dion didn't like that. Wonder if that had anything to do with it. I read that junk you wrote. Well, no, you didn't, Dion. Ed Werder didn't write anything. He's a TV reporter. <laughs> That's why Ed poor, poor Ed Werder was like, what did I write? What did I write? 
I haven't written since the internet. Anyway, Dion and the racing is one thing, okay? It's, but anyone, I thought, you know, Colorado was not going to be successful this year. By that, I mean, I, th- I thought they would win two or three games. They were projected to win like one and a half, okay? And I didn't know jack about Colorado football, except for the two or three high caliber transfers that they brought in with Deion Sanders, one of them related to him, one of them the number one recruit in the country, Travis Henry. So I thought they weren't going to be successful. I've already changed my tune. I think it's already a success. Is it sustainable? Boy, it doesn't feel like it. Does what's happening at Colorado right now feel like it's sustainable in terms of Kirby Smart, Nick Saban, Lincoln Riley, like, are you going to, is Colorado that program now? Are they a perennial top 20 team? Just like that? Is that how that works? Because Dion is going to master the transfer portal if he hasn't already. He's going to get good recruits. But so are Alabama and Georgia. That's the part that people are missing. I had a friend tell me the other day that he thinks that what Deion Sanders has done has already put him in the conversation as greatest college football coach ever. Why, he says, because it's never been done before. Not good enough for me, man. If you're 20 minutes into a movie, and I don't remember who said that. I think this was um, Split Zone Duo. Split Zone Duo, I think, um, podcast that made this point. Like, if you're 20 minutes into a movie and you stop the movie and you grade it on Rotten Tomatoes, you're an idiot, and you also don't understand how to watch movies. So if Deion Sanders is about to have long-term success at Colorado, we're only a minuscule way into it. We're five seconds into the hour in terms of his career. Or it's not sustainable, and what we're witnessing is a brief moment in time, however long it lasts, if it ends against Oregon, if it ends later this year, if it ends next year or the next. What we're witnessing is likely something that we'll never see again. Deion Sanders is not a pathway for success for blackhead coaches. That's another storyline that needs to be dispelled. Plenty of men have come before him, and they deserve that mantle more than Deion Sanders, who, by the way, has some checkered things in his past. Hasn't always been about the kids. Okay, like, it's transactional with Deion. And if we can all acknowledge... Dion is doing this for Dion. And why shouldn't he? He wants to be the best that he can be at his career. But the kids are benefiting from it. Okay. Colorado's benefiting from it. You can make the argument college football is benefiting from it. What else would we be talking about right now? What else would we be talking about right now? You know? I mean... I think Mel Tucker should be thanking his lucky stars that Deion Sanders is around. I mean, even that crazy Mel Tucker story, which by the way, if you haven't read, Google Mel Tucker USA Today. Read that story right now. Pause this and go Google Mel Tucker USA Today. Read that story. (laughs) Then come back to this. So what Mel Tucker did over the phone, allegedly, with a woman... Um, phone sex, where he masturbated into the phone. I figured no point in beating around the bush there. Might as well just say what he did. Uh, allegedly. Um, even that gets covered up by Deion Sanders. Okay, but this is not going to happen. This is not about Deion Sanders being black and being a celebrity. This is about Deion Sanders being Deion Sanders. Think about this for a second. What he did during his playing career as a pro bowler, an MLB all-star, a World Series champ, a Super Bowl champ, maybe two-time Super Bowl champ. Okay, think about that. That alone, if he goes off into the sunset and does nothing forever, which he didn't, we know, then that alone makes him a legend forever. He, he'll always, he would have always been Deion Sanders, primetime. 
Okay? Then he went into a second career. Broadcasting slash like high school coaching, um, talent development. He would coach those Under Armour All-Star games, you remember? I think like him and, him and uh, Emmett Smith coached against each other one year. Um, so that was like his second stint. He, he signed up with Barstool Sports, you know, right before Jackson State hired him. And then when Jackson State hired him, I believe that's the third phase of Deion Sanders' career, his coaching career. Could you imagine for a second if what he did on the field as an NFL superstar and an MLB superstar, which you can count on one hand the people that can do that. I can count on two fingers, Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders. That's basically it. I know there's some Brian Jordan stands out there shouting into the radio. What about Brian Jordan? Talking about world-class players in both sports, Deion Sanders was that. So can you imagine if his coaching career outshines that in terms of his legacy? And if that's the case, do you envision Deion Sanders staying at Colorado? Hell no. And why should he? Um, well, he can win at Colorado. I've heard that. The players will come to him at Colorado. All of that is also true and more true at almost every other Power 5 school in the country. Whatever they're paying, Dion, Alabama, basically any team in the SEC, several in the ACC, certainly Ohio State, USC, Texas, Texas A&M, Texas, Texas A&M, obviously in the SEC. But there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of programs that could forget about if they're better than Colorado, they can pay them way more. By way more, I mean a significant amount more. Once his son graduates from Colorado, once Travis Henry goes pro, who's to say Deion Sanders isn't taking the next step? And then when he does, it'll be because that's where God called him to go change and help more kids. And when God calls a coach, you're done. You can't question it. The G-Man. I wonder if God has to call Deion Sanders Coach Prime. Doubt it. Doubt it. Do you believe now? I mean, I guess I believe in Oregon. I mean, I believe in Colorado. Way more now than I did at the beginning of the season. But if they beat Oregon, if they can give me another top 25 win, a legitimate top 25 win, I'm in. Because Colorado State, and to be very clear, Colorado State is very, very bad. 133 FBS teams, they're probably in the 125 to 130 range. Double-digit or 20-plus point favorites Deion Sanders and company were before squeaking it out against Colorado State. I don't know what Colorado was an underdog to TCU, but I imagine Colorado was about that big of a favorite against Colorado State, and they almost lost. So that could happen. And when that happens, the people that still don't like Deion Sanders, they'll point to it and say it didn't work. It's not working. Told you. Told you so. Those same people aren't really saying jack about another celebrity coach, Trent Dofer, UAB. By celebrity coach, I mean someone that had fame outside of the coaching profession. Think about that. It's pretty rare. I mean, Nick Saban, super famous. What if he was never a football coach? Okay, so now he's not famous. Same for every other coach in the country, basically. Not true for Deion Sanders. Not true for him. There aren't a lot of guys like that. Arizona State tried it with Tony Dungy. It's not that, I mean, um, Herm Edwards, it's not the same thing just because they're black. But in terms of like coming out of the media realm, former player, coaching experience, like it's been tried before. Someone's going to mess up and try this again. Whatever, whoever they think the next Deion Sanders is, some power five team down on its luck, can't be Northwestern, would try, is going to try to do this and it's not going to work. Because there is no Deion Sanders. There's no second to him. He's one of a kind. And 
is a fascinating, this is a fascinating thing to watch. Whether you like it or hate it, appreciate the rarity of it. Because chances are, if you don't like it, that means you think it's ending soon. So at least appreciate the fact that it's happened. Uh, just a quick editor's note. I can't believe I called him Travis Henry that many times. His name, obviously, is Travis Hunter. Okay, that's, that's all I have in the editor's note department. Back to it. John Carr is the number one real estate agent in Savannah, and he's been our segment sponsor for a while now. We support him. You guys should, too. 912-228-0916. If you want to buy real estate in the Savannah area, if you want to sell it, or just learn more about the market, Johnny is your guy. Give him a call, 912-228-0916. Tell him the Hot Grits podcast sent you, and he will hook it up. All right, let's talk about the dogs now. Get right game this week. Get right game against UAB. 42-point favorites the dogs are. 735 kick on ESPN The Deuce uh, this Saturday. Georgia coming off a 24-14 sloppy victory over South Carolina, who I think is good. I think. I mean, I think South Carolina is going to wind up being... I don't know if it'll be a good win, but had Georgia had lost, I'm not sure if it would have been a, a terrible loss. Like, I think they are better than what North, that North Carolina game showed. And I think they played their ass off in that first half. Georgia played C minus. South Carolina played A plus. Georgia still won. UGA 24, USC 14. Georgia played A plus in the second half, and that's all it takes. The fact is, that's all it takes right now for Georgia. But there's still some things to talk about. I mean, th- let's just clear this up. The offense in 2021 under Todd Munkin, national title season, 38.6 points per game. 2022, Munkin, national title season, 41.1 points per game. 2023 so far, Mike Bobo, 39.0. So, scoring about one point more than they did in 2021 under Todd Munkin and about one point less than they did last year under Todd Munkin. Okay, so Kirby is obviously selling us a bag of goods, just a bag of garbo, when he spills that line this week about how uh, anyone who knows football can see that we're running the same offense, we're running the same plays. Well, no shit. We know you're running the pro-style offense, and no one ever questioned whether you changed up the offense, Kirby. You know that. We know that. Give us a little more credit than that, Curb. The play calling, obviously, is different based off of who's calling it, when they call it, how they call it, what they do all week in the building, how they come about a game plan. That goes into what makes a great offensive coordinator. Kirby, if anybody could do it, Mike Bobo wouldn't be making millions of dollars. You pay some schlup to do it. That's why Todd Munkin made the millies. Because it's a talent. And all Mike Bobo has ever done as offensive coordinator is A, annoy the shit out of the Georgia fan base. And B, score a dick ton of points. That's what Mike Bobo does. He annoys you and he scores a bunch of points. Carson Beck? I'm not going to say that Mike Bobo has been great. But he hasn't, like, college football fans... I always need to, we have to remind ourselves the reason why coordinators are criticized way more often in college football than they are in the league in the NFL is because in college football, you don't get to talk to Mike Bobo. We don't hear from Mike Bobo once, twice a season, maybe he's at the podium. In the NFL is a grown, I mean, those guys don't have limits on when they can talk and when they can't talk. They're not usually talking like after every game. They're available during the week. Mike Bobo, defensive coordinators in college football, offensive coordinators, they don't, that doesn't happen. So it's a shadow man. It's a, it's a person in the box who's looking down at his play sheet that 
has a hateable face. Let's be honest, Mike, Mike Bobo, hateable face, punchable face. Okay, you know it, I know it. But he's an easy guy to point and say, it's you, it's you. And I don't think that's a majority of the Georgia fan base. But I think that Georgia fans, by and large, are smart enough to, when they have gripes, they should be at least heard. They should be valid. I mean, they're not all valid. But people that watch every play of every game, those people's opinion matter. They're not idiots. They know what good offense looks like. They know what stagnant offense looks like. And I can read those stats all we want, but the fact is that you're losing the South, you're getting basically shuddied against South Carolina. I mean, that didn't happen last year. Maybe Mizzou. Was that game against South Carolina? Was that Georgia's Missouri from last year? And if so, I'm proud of Georgia's defense. I knew they were going to be good again. They're third in the country right now, allowing eight points per game. Hello. So they're 30th in the country in points per game. Third in the country in points allowed per game. That's good enough for a natty. It's not a guaranteed natty, but that's good enough for a natty. But when Georgia fans have gripes, they are allowed to say them. I think we deserve that. In a perfectly timed boot from the Sanford Stadium crowd against South Carolina. It's not like they were booing after every series, after every play. They weren't griping. They weren't like a spoiled fan base. They knew when to get their boos together. You give them a nice five to eight second boo heading into the locker room. Basically saying, hey, get your shit together, boys. Get your shit together, boys, or you're going to lose to South Carolina and Shane Beamer. I thought it was a proper boo. And everyone knows from my Freddie Freeman Braves takes, I'm pro-booing. Fans are allowed to boo if they watch every play. If they're committed to the craft of watching and being dedicated to the team, whatever sport, whatever team, whatever whatever level, then that person is as much as an expert as the next person. Unless, of course, you're a coach or a player and you're inside the actual building. But Kirby Smart, I mean, I don't know what we expected him to say. But he's never going to come out and be like, yeah, there's a problem with the offense right now. Like, Mike, Mike Bobo's not going anywhere. And we know Georgia didn't change the offense. They got 16 big plays, 25 or more yards so far. They've allowed four. The running back situation, we'll run through this quickly. Um, I don't really have takes here. It's going to be interesting, though. This is a, uh, I don't know how sustainable this one is. You know, is Dylan Bell kind of going to be a Swiss Army knife? I'm cool with that. I like Dylan Bell. Um, but Kendall Milton started a game. Dejon Edwards has started a game. Um, you know, th- there's been, let's see, Kendall Milton or Dejon Edwards led it, uh, led Georgia in rushing week one. Kendall Milton week two. Hmm. Roderick Robinson against Ball State led the dogs in rushing. And Dejon Edwards against South Carolina, 20 for 118 and 1. So it's been somebody different every game. The receiving core starting to kind of mesh out. Lad McConkey, um, you know, got real Mike Soroka vibes right now. But they don't need him against UAB. Okay. There's no need to rush him back. I guess he's not playing this week. I'm not sure. He's on the depth chart. Uh, so is Javon Bullard. But honestly, 42 point faves. You know, ahead of Auburn. At Auburn now, Georgia hasn't played a road game yet. They got at Auburn coming up. They got to get right against UAB. I think they took a punch. It wasn't a Mike Tyson punch from South Carolina. Okay? But it was more than a jab. They took a little gut punch. Maybe a little one-two up top. And they bounced back. They missed a chippy field goal. Fans booing at halftime. Fucking Deion Sanders taking over college football. All that was going bad. Georgia found a way to win. They won by 10 points. They were down at halftime. It never felt like they were going to lose. At least not to me. That Missouri game was the same way last year. It just never felt like they were going to lose. Georgia now. 
couple stats. 362 consecutive games without being shut out. Last time Georgia was shut out, 1995. Hello, 1995? What are we about right now? Back when Deion Sanders was roaming center field. That's the last time Georgia got shut out. Um, Georgia, top 10 this week again, number one, obviously. 37 straight weeks inside the AP top 10. That's the longest current streak because Alabama is ranked 13th this week. They had the longest streak at 128 consecutive weeks inside the top 10. Think about it for a moment. Think about how you feel about Georgia right now, how good they are, how confident you are every single game. Alabama did that 128 straight weeks. Georgia, right now, 37 straight weeks. That's how far away you are from Alabama. Deion Sanders hasn't even reached the top 10 yet. Alabama was there for 128 straight weeks. Eight seasons, they were ranked in the top 10. Carson Beck on Saturday. 27 of 35, 77%, 269 yards. He got sacked twice. That was the first two sacks he took in his career. First two sacks he took in his career. So he's has 96 pass attempts this season. He's been sacked twice. That's a guy that knows the pocket. Okay. Great offensive line for Georgia. Sus competition. I get it. But Beck's not going to hurt you. And if Georgia gets healthy, they start figuring out how, like Bowers really hasn't, you know, 13 for 135 in the first game. He had 7 for 54 against South Carolina. But he hasn't really had the huge play yet. Hasn't really had to, but I think at Auburn, Kentucky coming up after UAB, Georgia needs to be ready to play at Auburn now. That's starting to scare me a little bit. They got to get shit figured out like the field goal kicker. I, I Like the true freshman is probably going to be, the, he's probably the best kicker on the roster. But right now, it's not right. You can't go into Auburn with a guy that's one for three inside of 29 yards. Okay. Okay. I'm not asking you to make 50 yarders here. Inside of 30 yards, I need you to be 80%. At least. PATs, I need you to be 99%. Inside of 40 yards, give me 70%, 75%. That'll do. But we can't, you can't miss chip shot field goals, especially on the road, especially in this conference. It just means more, after all. So Zirkel and Woodrig this week on Georgia's depth chart at place kicker, they're both listed at one, and it just has an or by their name. So we'll see if Kirby decides to move on that. That's something that he doesn't really do a lot. Like You'll see him mess with the secondary a little bit sometimes. Um and then they've been starting Oscar Delp at that second tight end spot. But as far as like making changes middle of the season to like starting roles, if, if injuries are not a concern, Kirby does not really do that. He hasn't really had to, but Kirby just doesn't do that. Period. Um, all right. Quickly before we move on from Georgia, the depth chart here. Wanted to tell you guys about this. Um, this to me is why Georgia can withstand stuff like a bad first half against South Carolina. Because they got so many dudes that are just been there before. So many guys that have been there before, even if they aren't like experienced starters, Beck experienced the offensive line for Georgia, left tackle across the right tackle. Same exact starters all three games. Beck obviously starting all three games at tight or at quarterback. The running back we discuss is different every week. Um, Rosemi, Rosemi Jack Saint, uh, has kind of stepped in for Arian Smith a little bit, but Muse has developed Dylan Bell, like we spoke about. He's been around. Same thing on defense starts every game at safety started. Cornerback Everett, every game at safety. Cornerback Lassiter. 
Started every game. Star, Smith, every game. Um, Dumas Johnson, inside linebacker, every game. Chambliss, outside linebacker, every game. Stackhouse, every game at D-line. And Williams, every game at D-line. Also, Logue at D-line. Every single game he has started. So, the, like, Georgia's getting consistent lineups. And they're working their way through it. I think they'll be ready by the time Auburn comes around. The effort they gave at South Carolina or versus South Carolina won't be good enough to win a natty. I don't think it would be good enough to go perfect, but it might. It's a cupcake schedule after all. Okay? But we need to go ahead and prepare ourselves for that itch. That itch in the back of every Georgia fan's mind to blame and point Mike Bobo Anytime something goes wrong. Anytime something goes wrong. Don't do that. These are all four and five star guys. And they're not playing against the number two team in the country where every little possession matters. They need to make plays. Mike Bobo should be able to draw it up on his t-shirt or in the sand. You know, out on the reset, out in recess, drawing up post patterns in the sand. He should be able to draw that kind of offense and Georgia should score it. Players over coaches, remember that forever. Jimmy's and Joe's. Give me the Jimmy's and the Joe's. I'll put my Jimmy's over there. I'll put my Joe's over there. You can keep all the X's and O's. Jimmy, you go there. Joe, here. Post route. Sand. Under Kirby Smart, Georgia, 13 and 10 when trailing at half. They were against South Carolina. They're 60 and 1 when scoring 30 or more points. They didn't do that against South Carolina. They did score 20 or more points. Georgia 79 and 8 when scoring more than 20. When they allow less than 20, which they did on Saturday, and they're averaging 8 points a game allowed. Okay, so when they give up less than 20 under Kirby Smart, they are 66 and 1. This team's fine, man. This team is A-OK. They're not where they need to be now but I'm cool with where they are. They're not where they need to be to win a national title, I should say. But I'm cool where they're at right now. Heading into UAB, I would love for Georgia just to beat the shit out of Dilfer's times. Get right. Get everyone out to game. Let's get Vandegrift some run. Let's get Stockton some run. Let's make some field goals. Okay? And this time next week, let's be talking about how great a coordinator Mike Bobo is. How great would that be? We'll all come together. The Lady and Sons Restaurant, a segment sponsor here on the Hot Crits Podcast, 102 West Congress Street. Lady and Sons, you guys probably know the name. They have their restaurant, obviously, at 102 West Congress Street, but then the store right next door, literally right next door to the restaurant, also on Congress Street, open seven days a week, 11 to 9, 912-233-2600, 912-233-2600 is the number for Lady and Sons. Find them on Facebook and LadyandSons.com. I love corn. All right, I'm having to redo this Georgia Southern segment again, so apologies if the audio is a little different here from the previous ones. You might have to readjust. I'm going to have to do this quickly. Hopefully, I'll get a bonus episode out after this. At some point, uh, I got a lot of high school stuff to get to. A lot of stuff with Savannah High. A lot of high school football stuff. Big rivalry week. Calvary, Savannah, Christian. Um, they play tonight. If you're listening to this on Friday, they play tonight um, on WSAV NBC. So after that game, maybe I'll record something quick and then talk some Savannah High stuff. I'm in the process of writing some Savannah High stuff, some reporting on that situation, um, if you haven't heard about what's going on over there, the GHSA basically basically gave Savannah High football an unprecedented and, frankly, I think, uh, unwarranted punishment. Um, so, more on that later. Quickly on Georgia Southern, just a few quick things. A, Wisconsin doesn't matter. Okay, 35-14 loss, it, it doesn't matter. Some things matter out of the game, but that result just flat out doesn't matter. I guess corn is better than cheese. 
I love corn from Terry Harvin last year, then the Nebraska win. Uh, cheese, Wisconsin, I don't know. That was something I wrote down. <laughs> Ball State, um, I think, though, this is one I really want to see. Can Georgia Southern dominate a team that it's clearly better than on the road? Georgia Southern's a road favorite this week. Six and a half points. Um, again, I don't know. It's been, a, it's been a while since that's been the case, since they've been a road favorite, you know, by touchdown-ish. Heading into Saturday uh, at Ball State in Muncie, Indiana, they need to kind of get right, just like Georgia. They're going to be playing a true freshman quarterback in Caden Samanza, I believe is how you pronounce it. Their backup quarterback and a guy that's played sparingly, Ball State, <laughs> Lane Hatcher. Some of you may remember Lane Hatcher from Arkansas State. I remember him as the quarterback for the Arkansas State team that played against the Georgia Southern team for my infamous they already quit tweet when Chad Lunsford and the rest of the Georgia Southern coaching staff like were quote tweeting me after the game because they were so pissed about that. Todd Bradley Glenn, I lost him as a brother that day. He called me a clown. Um, Georgia Southern lost that game, by the way. So I saw I saw Lane Hatch on the depth chart for Ball State. I was like, oh, shit. Thought I was done watching this guy play against Georgia Southern. Um, all right. And finally, I have written down here, let's make some plays on defense. Georgia Southern's given up 70 points in the last two games. Again, none of this that big of a deal. If they beat Ball State, they're 3-1, and one, just like we wanted them to be. But... They're minus six in the turnover margin now. Their red zone defense is weirdly bad. They've given up 10 touchdowns in 12 trips to the red zone. Opponents have been 12 times and they've gotten 10 touchdowns. A field goal still hasn't been made against Georgia Southern. Okay, so you can hold those people, hold those drives sometimes to field goals. That's making a play, making those close plays. Again, the D-line is just not getting sacks. It's been like this for a while now. They are not getting sacks at all. Three on the year. One, I mean, that's not good. One per game. Okay, but they have seven quarterback hurries. That's close to a sack. Make that play every now and then. This is the defense that's supposed to make plays and give the ball back to the offense. It's not supposed to be a bend-don't-break defense, okay? Which is what they've been. They've been okay, but they haven't made the plays. One interception. 14 pass breakups. Go make a play. I still like this defense better, but they're not that much different statistically than what they've been in the past. Now, after that Wisconsin game, and I think, you know, if you want to throw away the Wisconsin game, then okay, we now we have to throw away the Citadel game. And you still gave up 35 to UAB. You gave up 35 to Wisconsin. Now you're playing a true freshman quarterback. They can get right. I think Georgia Southern will win this week. I don't know if Jalen White will play. I hope he plays. Um... You guys probably would know more about that than me. Georgia Southern's going to have to go from 75,000 people at Wisconsin to probably around 13,000 people in Muncie, Indiana this week, I would bet. Um, but, oh yeah, like I said, very similar to last year um, in several ways. Offensively, last year they ran 75.5 plays. This year they're running 75.6 plays per game. So that clock stoppage change after first downs that has not affected the number of plays in the game. So I was off on that. What else is new? Um, let's see. Uh, okay. One more thing. I I've been using the varsity app to listen to Danny Reed and them. And I've said this in the past, Georgia Southern fans are so lucky to have Danny Reed. He is an absolute gem. I mean, he's top-notch. And I listen to a lot of live sporting events on radio. College, pro, otherwise. I always have. I've enjoyed that. 
and, and I always have, and Danny Reed is as good as it gets. Kyle Van Trees, however, if you guys have been listening, it is tough to listen to. He is not good in the locker room yet. I mean, and how could you expect him to go in there and interview guys that he played with last year? In the locker room after, like, tough losses, after big wins. He's like their boy. Clay Helton coached him last year. He got him to Statesboro. And he's supposed to ask Clay Helton questions in the locker room after the game that's going to serve the Georgia Southern radio fan base? Now, I know Georgia Southern got put in a rough spot. The, the Sports Network probably did with Russ Brown leaving to go to what, what was obviously a step up and a, and a great opportunity for him. But, you know, this la- that last minute decision to put Kyle Van Trees in there, I don't know if that was financially beneficial for Georgia Southern Sports Network or for IMG or, or, or what, but I, I know that people listening to the radio call and listening to me right now will agree with what I'm saying here. Not saying that he can't get better, but it is tough to listen to, and you are not learning anything after the game. Luckily, though, Terry Harbin and, and Danny Reed especially are really good, and I would encourage people to to do that if you haven't, to do that varsity network, to listen to um, Danny, and then you can do, I forget what the other app is. Again, you guys probably know um, where you can sync it to the live game. Um, all right. I think that's it. Georgia Southern CCU, Coastal Carolina, um, which got whipped up by Georgia State Thursday night. Georgia State, are they good? Maybe. Anyway, the Georgia Southern Coastal Carolina game is now on NFL Network next week, 7 p.m. in Paulson Stadium. Pretty cool. Random, but pretty cool. I hope Jalen White plays in that game more than I hope he plays against Ball State. But I really hope Georgia Southern comes out this week against Ball State and sets the tone to say, hey, you know, six interceptions, Wisconsin, fluke, whatever, but we're riding into the Sunbelt Conference and we're going to be, and Georgia Southern will be favored in a lot of these games. I really believe that. But if they lose to Ball State, who is down there now. They're down, they're below Georgia Southern in every single ranking you can find. Significantly. They're in the mid nineties to, you know, one tens ball state is in terms of overall rankings out of 133. So Georgia Southern needs to take care of business. Two o'clock ESPN plus in Muncie, Indiana, Georgia Southern versus ball state Gata.
Savannah's premier indoor baseball training facility, SBPA is owned and operated by Ross Howard, and together with instructors who have played college and professional baseball, Ross and SBPA offer customized instruction year-round for baseball and softball players, full-length batting cages, pitching mounds, and a state-of-the-art technology to measure improvement are just a few of the highlights over at the Academy. Call Ross at 912-484-5282 and visit the Savannah Baseball Performance Academy on Facebook for programs, teams, camps, and more information about how to take advantage of this great venue. Savannah's only year-round indoor baseball facility, Ross Howard, our guy, give him a call, 912-484-5282.